As you're being seated, I want you to take your Bible and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and find verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This is the first Sunday of the month. And every first Sunday of the month at night we have the Lord's Supper. And uh, have a time of prayer for the sick and others. So don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock we'll meet together. We'll sing uh, some praise choruses and some hymns. Have a message from the Word of God. And we'll have the Lord's Supper. And we'll pray for people. So don't forget that uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. Okay? You know, every one of us in this room has an enemy. And I'm not talking about the devil. He is our enemy. I'm not talking about the world system. It is our enemy. I'm not talking about the flesh. It is our enemy. But we have an enemy. In fact, Jesus called it, or or the writer of Hebrews called it an enemy. You said, Brother Fred, what is the enemy that we're dealing with? What is it? Well, go back to verse 21, and I'll show you what our enemy is. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 21. All right, now, now follow me here. For since by man came death, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For is in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers, talking about Jesus, the kingdom to God the Father, and he puts an end, all rule and authority and power. Now, now get this, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Here it is. The last enemy is death. You know, death is not yet under the feet of Jesus. It will be. I'll show you a verse that says that when it will be. But he said he's got to reign until every enemy is under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. You know, I was walking uh, my dog uh, Thursday, and I never know what I'm going to preach on, so I was just praying as I was walking Bo and fussing at him. I was just praying. I said, I said, now, Lord, it's Thursday. I sure need a word from you. And just immediately, 1 Corinthians came to my, my mind. So I want to speak to you today about the sting of death. That's what it's called, the sting of death. On top of that, I'll be having my third funeral in two weeks in, uh, tomorrow. And it's a celebration for people like Arthur and Dot Klein and others. But still, it's a reality that the last enemy has not yet been destroyed. Now, let me just say this. We all have one thing in common. Everybody in this room. Unless Jesus comes back in the air and we are caught up to meet him, every one of us will die. We have an appointment. And you know about death, can I tell you something? 
It is absolutely no respecter of persons. The homeless man who walks on the street, one day he will die. The billionaire who lives in his mansion, one day in his mind. His money may buy him a few more days, but inevitable he will face physical death. So we all have that in common. But now, you know, the Bible says some awesome things about the life of a Christian and the victory we have in Jesus. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, look beginning to read at verse 50. And you're going to see some powerful, powerful words. All right. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery in the Bible is a spiritual truth that has not been fully revealed to the people. They don't understand some things spiritually. So he calls it a mystery. He says, Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Every time I read that, and I wish I'd have never heard it the first time. Every time I read that, I think that that was put up in the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's exactly what it said. I mean, every time I read this, I think about that. But that's not what it's talking about. Okay? I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now listen to what's going to happen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now listen to this word. At the last trumpet. That's very important. You'll see it again. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the victory. And underline this in your Bible. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's just like God in his grace and mercy swallows up death. It, it lost its sting. L read on and I love this. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he asked the question, oh, death, where do you get your sting? Death, where do you get your power? I mean, why do you, where do you get it? Why, why, why is there such a sting in death? And where do you get your power? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Now, now, he tells us, the sting of death is sin. That's where death gets its power. That's the sting that death has for every man and woman. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of the sin of the law, strength of sin is the law. He said, let me tell you about death. It gets its power and it gets its sting from sin, but sin gets its power from the law. I said, well, now, boy, there's enough theology in that to spend 15 years. I mean, death gets its sting, sin gets its strength, uh, strength from the law. But then he says it. This is what I love. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but 
Uh, let's just, man, uh, just sh- shout in our hearts. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, even death is going to be under the feet of Jesus. Now, I I just want to say a few things about it. Mainly, I want to talk about how death has lost its sting. And that we have victory over death in Jesus Christ right now. First of all, there's the reality of death. It's it's a reality, y'all. It says in verse 21 of 15, For since by man came death... By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Listen to this in verse 22. As in Adam all die. I looked up that word all. Y'all know what it means. All. That's it. For as Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So that speaks that the enemy that we have is death. Verse 25 of that chapter says, He must reign Till he puts all enemies under his feet. So that's the reality of death. Then the next verse is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews uh, 9, 27 and 28. I'm talking about the reality of death. It says... It is appointed unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. He says, we all have an appointment. We all have an appointment with death. And after that, the judgment of God. One of the most most, uh, inspiring stories I ever heard, true story, was about a young man who always was at the same corner. He was in England back 100 years ago or so. He was always on the same corner. He was giving out tracts. He was telling people that came by that God loved them and that Jesus died for them and that they could have eternal life. I mean, he was just there every day being a bold witness of the victory we have in Jesus. And this guy who uh, made fun of him and was kind of a, an agnostic came up to him and said, man, you, do, you don't know there's a God. You don't know that Jesus died on the cross. He said, you don't know. You don't. And he just kept trying to get this young man to argue with him. He just kept trying to destroy his faith. And finally, this young man said, you know, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. The guy said, well, let me tell you something. I don't believe in God. He said, you know what? It's appointed unto man once to die. Every objection he made, that young man answered with this verse. It's appointed unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. That, that man went home, that agnostic. He was laying in his bed, and it was like the CD was on. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And right before dawn, he realized that God was real, and God had spoken to him, and got on his knees and got saved. Hey, there's power in the Word of God. See, death is a reality. We all face it unless the rapture comes. In Romans chapter 5, you don't need to turn, verse 12. I want you to listen to what it says. Therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death, death passed upon to all men, because all have sinned. Now, so we talk about the reality of death. But let me ask you this. 
Well, why do we have to die? I mean, Adam and Eve were created with an Im- immortal body. They were created with an incorruptible body. And it was never part of God's original plan for them to die. I mean, they were created to live forever. There was no sin in the world. No disease. It was a perfect place created by a perfect God. But God did say to them, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he said it. The day that you eat of it, you will die. Well, we know the story how Satan tempted Eve and then she shared it with Adam and and, and they ate of the fruit of the tree and immediately, immediately, they died spiritually. Immediately, the Spirit of God left them and they were now a body and a soul. But they also began to die physically. You know, the body used to be a whole lot stronger. Some of the Old Testament people lived to be over five or 600 years old. I think Methuselah was the oldest person in the world that had lived longer than anybody else. Praise God, I just, I mean, it's tough enough to live to 75, much less 500. Come on, give me a break. But see, the reason for death is, is because of sin. Sin entered into the human race, and because of that, there is death. Remember that verse? O death, where is your sting? Where do you get your power from? Where do you get your strength from? And then he said it, the, strength, the sting of death is sin. That's where death, uh, that's where, uh, death gets its power. And, and I want to read some verses to you. In Romans chapter 5, it tells us that the, sting of, the reason death is a reality is because of sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I just read it. Therefore, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Death is spread to all men because all have sinned. And you look down in verse, uh, uh, verse 17. By one man's offense, death reigned through the one much more who receives abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life by Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 21 of Romans 5, as sin reigned in death, it reigned. Even so, grace will reign in righteousness. You know, if there had been no sin, there would have been no death. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. So you know why death is our enemy? Because we've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. The sting of sin, the sting of death comes from the sin. If we had never sinned, we would uh, have never died. But now listen, Adam sinned. We inherited from him uh, a sinful nature. His sin was passed down from generation to generation. And so we're still fighting the consequences of Adam's disobedience, but then also of our own disobedience and our all own, own sin. So somebody says, well, why in the world do people have to die? Because God is holy. Sin must be paid for. The penalty must be paid for. And the wages of sin is death. But now this is very interesting. The sting of death is sin. But now get this. 
The strength of sin is the law. Now you get to, th- well, what does he mean by that? I mean, if it hadn't been for sin, we would never die. But now sin gets its power and its strength from the law. Well, Romans 3, 19 and 20. I want you to listen to this. All right, it says in Romans 3, Now we know that whatever the law says, stay with me now, whatever the law says, he's talking about the moral law of God. He's talking about the Ten Commandments now. See, sin gets its strength from the law. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, now get this, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. God's moral law shuts every mouth and shows everybody that the whole world is guilty before God. Goes on and says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, the moral Ten Commandments, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Get this, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do we know we're sinners? Because we, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God is a mirror that we all look into. And as we look into the mirror of the Ten Commandments, the law of God It says, man, it shows us what sinners we are. And our mouth is stopped. And the whole world becomes guilty before God. You say, well, Brother Fred, are the Ten Commandments, are they bad? No, they're good. The problem was we couldn't keep them. And what was supposed to bless us instead judged us. Let let me read this to you. In in Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. I want you to listen to this. Paul is writing, he says, I was alive once without the law. But when when the, the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He said, I was doing pretty good. Until uh, I saw the Ten Commandments, and then it, uh, it sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to, supposed to bring life, I found to bring death. You know why God gave the Ten Commandments? To protect the people. You say, well, you know, God says, he said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Why? Because they were destroying themselves because of sin. Man's sin's nature was running wild. And God said, I've got to put a fence up. I've got to put a fence up to keep man in so that he won't utterly destroy himself completely. And so when God gave the Ten Commandments, it was good. It was to say, now listen, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't commit adultery with your neighbor. Don't, don't, don't covet what your neighbor has. And then it talked about what God's place was to have in our life. So the, the Ten Commandments were good. But all they did was show us that from Adam we had inherited a sinful nature. And we were sinners by nature and by choice. Now the sting of death is sin. But sin gets its strength from the law. It goes on and says here, For sin taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is good, just, uh, is just and good. So, uh, you know, here's the thing, y'all. Uh, the, the law of God, God gave to protect us, but we couldn't keep it and, and it judged us. And so now 
The way we, it says by the law is the knowledge of sin. We know we're sinners by the Ten Commandments, by the moral law of God. You know, Galatians had so much to say about it. You've got to understand what part the law of God plays today. And somebody says, well, why does a person die? Because there's sin. Well, what is sin? It's the moral law of God. It's lawlessness. You break God's law. And, and, and Galatians chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 10, listen to what it says. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law, now get this, are under a curse. What? He said, if you're trying to live under the Ten Commandments, if that's the way you're trying to get right with God, as many as are under the law are under a curse. Wow. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident the just shall live by faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Okay. Let's just put it to the test. The sting of death is sin. Sin gets, death gets its power from sin. But where does sin get its power? The strength of the sin, the strength of sin is the law. And the law shows us what sinners we are. So I'm going to show you how it works. Has there ever been a time in your life that you had another God before God? See, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Think about it. We, we grow, and, 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 and what we love the most, and what we worship the most, what we think about the most, to dwell on the most, achieve the most, that, that becomes our God. Somebody says, well, money is his God. It, it could be. It, it, could, it could be success is his God. It could be. It, 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 it doesn't matter. He said, I'm telling you, you don't have any other gods before me. And I guarantee you, every one of us in this room, in our life, there's been a time when we've had another God before him. Then he goes on and he says, uh, I'm not going to go over all of them, but it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'd say, have you ever taken God's name in vain? You say, well, I never said the, the words, but I'm asking you this, by the life that you lived, have you taken God's name in vain? You see, the moral law of God, it, it, it was meant to bless us and to put a fence around us to keep us safe and to keep society from destroying itself. But, and then he goes on and says, honor your father and your mother. Have you always done that? You said they're not honorable. That, that's what it says. It says honor them as your birth mother or father. And then he goes on and says, um, you need to set apart a day in your life where you worship God. Six days shall you labor, but on the seventh day, you, you set it apart and you worship God. And then it goes on, it says, um, you shall not lie. Can I ask you a question? Now, that, that's one of the moral law of God. Is there anybody in here that's never told a lie? Well, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand because you just told one. You say it was just a little white lie. No, it was a big black lie. A lie is a lie. You say, well, I just exaggerate. It's called a lie. <laughs> well, I get confused with the facts. Well, we won't go there. <laughs> Let me ask you something. 
Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Well, when I was a little boy, I stole a piece of candy. Well, does it say it's all right for little boys to steal candy? I'm just showing you. And see, nobody, nobody, absolutely nobody but Jesus could stand in the mirror of the law of God. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said that if you look on a person to lust after him in your heart, you've committed adultery. He says, thou shalt not murder. Jesus said, if you hate somebody in your heart. So let me tell you something. Let me tell you where death comes from. Death is a result of sin. Sin gets its sting. I mean, death is a result of sin. And death gets its power and sting from sin. But sin gets its power and strength from the law. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Except Jesus. He was the only person that never had to die physically. They crucified an innocent man. Death could not hold him. Death had no claim on him. Because he had never sinned against holy God, his father. And that's why, man, there was no question about the resurrection. God raised him from the dead. But now... Let me talk about uh, the main thing I want to talk about, and that is uh, we need to rejoice in our victory over death. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. Man, I'm telling you, this, this gives us great encouragement. Oh, man, death is our enemy, but praise God that there's victory over death. It says in verse 54, look at that last part of that verse. Death is swallowed up in victory. Praise God. I mean, friend, I'm telling you, Jesus took care of death. The Bible says Jesus took care of death, and it says death is swallowed up in victory, and Jesus won the victory for for us on the cross. Look at verse 57. It says here, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But then it says it. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. I've done. I lost count of how many funerals I've done. But you know. Such joy. Such peace. Such hope. Such rejoicing. When we know that that individual has come to Christ. And their sins have been forgiven. And are under the blood of Jesus. And they've received the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And man here they are. They're saved. They're forgiven. The victory that Jesus won on the cross. Has become their victory. And friend I mean you sorrow. But you don't sorrow as one who has no hope. Because you know heaven is real. You know that death has lost its sting. Death has lost its power. Praise God. And in Jesus Christ we live forever and forever. Praise his holy name. You know, when we think about victory over death, let me tell you how it was won. See, sin was the reason people die. But in Hebrews, it tells us, praise God, that Jesus took care of our sin. You know, somebody says, well, why, why, why do we talk so much about sin? Why, why is sin so important? I'll tell you why. Sin is what condemns you. It's what judges you. It what means that you could spend eternity not with Christ, but in another place called hell. Somebody says, well, you know, we need to be positive. Yeah, you can be positive and die without Christ, and it won't be positive no more. 
You understand what I'm saying? People do a great injustice when they do not warn people of the judgment to come. When they do not warn them that death is a reality. And over there in um, Hebrews, I want you to listen to this. This is why we, we don't have to be afraid to die. This is why we can face death with great, great courage. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I'm going to read in verse 10. Now, now listen to this. This is why you can have hope, you know, and not be afraid to die. It says in verse 10 of Hebrews 10, by, by that will, we have been sanctified. How, how have we been set apart? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. When Jesus offered up his body on the cross, that took care of sin. It was done. Death, I guarantee you when Jesus said it is finished, he was looking death in the eye and said, your sting has been taken out. I, by my offering of my body, I have perfected those. And then it goes on. I want you to listen to this. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down, right, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, did you hear what that said? Jesus, on the cross, took the sting out of death and fulfilled the moral law of God. And it says here that he offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And he sat down at the right hand of God. You know when Jesus died on the cross? He paid the price for all sin, past, present, and future. Every sin has been paid for by the Son of God. The blood of Jesus has prevailed. And I'm telling you, he knocked the devil out when on the cross he said, it is finished. And, and, and Satan knew that that was the end of his reign because sin now was defeated and sin had been punished and sin had been paid for and that now people could be forgiven and death would have no hold on them. You see, the one, re one thing that had to be done was sin had to be paid for. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And then it goes on and says, by one offering, one offering, now get this, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Let me tell you something. I mean, I'm about ready to shout. I want you to listen to me. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ came into my heart, all of my sins, past, present, and future, were covered with the blood of Jesus, and God will never see him again. And I said future too. You see, if he, if he didn't pay for our sins, past, present, and future, if you committed a sin tomorrow and didn't repent of it, then you'd go to hell. But he said, it is finished. And so all of our sins, past, present, and future, were paid in full by the Son of God. You say, well, let me ask you a question. Why do we have to confess our sins? We have to agree with God that it is a sin and that we know it's wrong for us and that we're not going to do it anymore. We're not confessing it to be forgiven. It's already paid for, my friend. Past, present, and future. Jesus Christ on the cross offered one sacrifice for sin forever. By one offering, he perfected forever those that have been sanctified. And when you as a believer die, you ne God never asks you about your sins. If you're a child of God, your sins never come up. Never come up. They're under the blood of Jesus. And you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. And that gains you entrance into heaven. Praise his holy name. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. The victory Jesus Christ won on the cross. No wonder that song, I will glory in the cross. No wonder the early church, all they would sing about was the cross. No wonder Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. I, I mean, that's, we've got to understand that death has lost its sting. It has lost its power, and it lost it when Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place and took our sins, and God raised him from the dead. You know, there's so many awesome verses about the victory of Jesus. We rejoice in his victory. Uh, let me tell you what. Jesus looked down the road, and he saw that he was going to win the victory. He knew he was going to win the victory over sin, death, and the grave. He knew he was. So let, let me show you something. If you want to turn, you'll love this. You're familiar with it. Turn to John chapter 11. A and this is a great encouragement for a child of God. John chapter 11, where Jesus declares when Lazarus died that uh, he, 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 he taken, he's going to take care of it. He said, I'm going to take care of death. Don't you worry about that. John chapter 11, and it's um, verse 20. Okay? No, that's not, the, it's not, that's not the verse. It, it's, 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 oh, that's chapter 12. No wonder I'm in the wrong place. Here it is. All right, now, now listen. Jesus and Lazarus was close friends. They were close friends. He ate in their home. They were such good friends that when Lazarus got sick, they sent word to Jesus up in Jerusalem, come down here, the one you love is sick. And so Jesus took his time. God's never early, but guess what? He's never late. And so Jesus got there four days later, and Lazarus died, had died right after they sent word to him. And, uh, and, and he'd been dead four days. Now, now look at this. Jesus said to her, this is Martha. When she heard that Jesus had got there, she ran out to meet him. And, and this is what she said. Jesus said to her, your brother, well, go back in what uh, Martha says in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She almost sounded like she was disappointed. Well, if you'd have been here, I know one thing. You've raised the dead before, and Lazarus would have never died. And if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so Jesus goes on to answer her. Uh, and, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And listen to what he said. Jesus said to her, <clears throat> Your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And boy, isn't this awesome. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. <clears throat> Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You heard what Jesus said to her? Let me tell you something, Martha. Death, I'm going to take the sting out of death. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to defeat your enemy. And he said, let me just say one thing. He ever, he, whoever lives and believes in me, will, will, uh, though he may die physically, yet shall he live. But he who lives and believes in me will never die. Did you know 
that death really has lost its sting. It has lost its power because the moment your physical heart stops beating, the moment you take your last breath, at that moment your soul, your spirit, the real you. By the way, the real you is your soul and your spirit. This body's the house you live in. It's the house you live in. It's the tent. It's what the Bible says. But the moment you, you cease to die, live physically, you, 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 you are more alive spiritually than you've ever been. And at the moment of death, your, your, your soul and your spirit goes to be with the Lord. And you shall ever be with the Lord. So even if we do go through the valley of physical death, it's just like that. And we're in the presence of the Lord. Boy, there's a passage that makes this clear. And this is why Christians can have such hope when a loved one dies. I'm telling you. It's over in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. No, it's first, 2 Corinthians uh, 10. I want to show it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we go. I got it right. Now, I want you to listen to what it says. Somebody says when a person dies, their soul goes to sleep and they stay in the grave until Jesus comes back. Not true. We do not believe in soul sleep. We don't believe in purgatory. We don't believe in any of that because it's not in the Bible. But I tell you what we do believe, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen carefully. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that if our earthly house, our body, this tent, Lord, I mean, I think a little bit more of my body than calling it a tent. But anyway, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, we know if this tent, if this body dies, we, we've got a better one, a better one uh, for us in heaven. And he goes on and says, verse 4 of, of 2 Corinthians 5, We who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed, uh, uh, be clothed that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Then he says it in verse 6. Now don't miss this. We're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But then he says, we're confident rather, yes, well, please, we're rather to be absent from the body. Now, wait a minute. So we go sleep a while, no? To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said, you know, our body gets old, it gets feeble, and something in us just groans and wants uh, our, our, new, uh, our new body, our new place in heaven. And uh, he said, we groan in that because we know one thing. You know why? Because we know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And it happens instantly, instantly. No wonder death has lost its sting. No wonder death has lost its power. Because in Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, through him coming to live inside of us and changing us, and us being children of God who follow him, I'm telling you, we look death st straight in the eye and say, you have no power over me. I, to be absent from my body is to be present with the Lord. And that's why Christians have such peace. You say, well, Brother Fred, let me ask you a question. And I'll answer this and I'll be through. He says, well, if when a Christian dies, 
their soul or spirit goes to be with the Lord. Then what about the body? Okay, this physical body that we have, the Bible makes it absolutely clear. It goes back to the dust from which it came. That's exactly what happens. But it's awaiting the resurrection. Now, we're, we're already with the Lord. We've never been more alive. But we're with Him. But we've not yet received our glorified body. Well, what kind of body do we have uh, between them? Don't ask me. I don't know. But I'm just telling you that uh, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it does say this, that we're going to get our new body at the resurrection. Let, let me give you two passages over in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about us getting a new body. All right, now look at verse 42. We get it when Jesus comes back. We're in heaven. We've never been more alive, but we hadn't got a new resurrected body yet. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Okay, so it says, look, you're going to get a new body. All right, when are we going to get it? All right, look down in verse 51 and look for the word trumpet. Now I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. All right, so he says, listen, when Jesus comes back, he's going to sound the trumpet. And as he sounds the trumpet, that's the call for the dead in Christ to rise first. And and by the way, those of us who are already, we're going to be coming with him. And we'll get our new body as we come with him. You say, well, now, where is that at? All right, I'm going to show you where it is. 1 Thessalonians shows you that we get that new body when Jesus comes. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 10. See, you need to get these verses and you need to study what the Bible says about death and the victory we have over death so you can share it with people who are walking through the valley of the shadow. Now, listen to this. This is very clear. One of the greatest passages on the resurrection. Here it is. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant about your loved ones who have died. I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He said, you're going to sorrow, but you're not going to sorrow like others who don't have hope. Can you imagine a person dies and we don't know where they are? You're going to sorrow, but you ain't going to have no hope. He says, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Well, why? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we do. So God will bring with him. That's you and I who die before the rapture. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, which was talking about death. He said, listen, all those who uh, uh, were saved, when Jesus comes, he's going to bring them with him in the air. All right, read on. For we who, we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, and there, it could be we'd be alive at the rapture, until the coming of the Lord shall not go before those who have gone on before us. The Lord himself will descend from a shout, will descend with a shout. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel, and listen, with the trumpet of God. So the trumpet's going to sound. What's going to happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. That means those of us who died and our bodies went back to the dust, when he comes, the trumpet will sound, and we're going to come out of that grave, wherever it might be. We're going to, it may be in the bottom of the sea. It could be anywhere. It, it could be one part here and one part there. You know, who knows? But the Bible says we're going to be, the dead will be raised. And it says, um, uh, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's how they're going to get their new body when they start rising. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Praise God. With them. All those who have gone before, if we're alive at the rapture, will be caught up as our lo- with them as our loved ones get their new and glorified body. We shall be caught up in the clouds to meet them in the air. We're going to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, as you can see, This is a difficult subject to deal with in a short period of time. But I basically have given you what the scripture says about death. I'm telling you. So you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to think about it. Everything I gave you, I, I supported with the scriptures, the word of God. And let me conclude by saying this to you. If you're a child of God, death has lost its sting. Death, that enemy has been destroyed in your life. And whenever you, you go, however you go, I'm just telling you that you'll go to be with the Lord because of the cross. Because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, Wage, past, present, and future. And so we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. And you know what I found? It's not that Christians fear death. They fear the way they're going to die. It's not die. I have no fear of death. You, you as a child of God, you have no fear of death. It's lost its sting. But you say, well, Brother Fred, let me tell you how I want to die. That ain't your choice. <laughs> now, I'll tell you how I want to just like that. I want to be preaching. And right in the middle of the sermon, I want to go to meet with the Lord. I believe God may grant that to me. You say, well, I hope I'm not here when he does it. Well, <laughs> but see, folks, listen, we've got hope. None of the other religions of the world have hope. The, Muhammad, the Muslims die, and they don't have any hope. They go down there and pay for their sins. And the Hindus, they have no hope. We're the only religion that believes in the resurrection of the dead and that we'll live forever with our Savior. Praise God that we were born in a land that we could hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus, love Jesus, and follow Jesus, and death would lose its sting, and we will live forever in the presence of the living God. I say, why me, Lord? But praise his holy name. You be sure you're ready to meet God. You be sure you're prepared to die. You say, Brother Fred, when is death going to lose its sting? Revelation 21.4. The rapture's taking it all. It says, and in heaven there'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, and no more death. It's forever sealed. Revelation 21, and there'll be no more death. 